This is Design in Transition, a bilingual podcast about designing for systems-level change towards more sustainable and equitable futures. It's also a podcast about the transitions design is taking in practice when it's concerned with the complex and interconnected challenges societies face today. Today's conversation is in English. We will now direct our Spanish-speaking listeners to the commentary in Spanish. La conversación de hoy es en inglés. Te invitamos a escuchar nuestra discusión en español acerca de esta al final del episodio. In this episode, Sofia and I, Silvana, spoke to Markel Cormenzana and Adria Garcia y Mateo, core members of Holland, a design non-profit co-op based in Barcelona. The collective has adopted the transition design framework and uses design research as a practice to produce results that create value for the communities they work with. This value is linked to fostering sociocultural changes that move between different scales of transformation. We talked about their social and ecologically informed approaches, the particular sociopolitical contexts and structures in which they work and organize themselves, but also about the challenges of operating in the edges of mainstream traditional design practices while pushing the boundaries and the possibilities of design. Through a peculiar recording connecting us from Barcelona, Montevideo, and Mexico City, this conversation served as a chance to not only learn about their projects, but also open a space to exchange different perspectives from underground transition design practitioners and thinkers. Let's listen to the conversation. Cool. Um, yes, um, my name is Adria. Uh, I'm a designer based in Barcelona and, and I'm part of uh, this design collective that is called Holland. And yeah, we've been working now in as a collective around six years um, and it's been you know we, we passed from through different phases yeah that's where, where we are now and particularly as Adria um, I'm right now after yeah like several years on, on let's say in, in more like a, the practice space uh, as a year ago I stepped into into a bit more reflection space with uh, with action research with um, the frames of transition design, um, but with others, uh, with policy, with design for policy and so on. And the topic of housing, um, especially on cooperative housing and how, uh, yeah, how design as a culture can, can contribute, uh, yeah, to, to, to the whole uh, housing as a right uh, movement. Yeah, I'm, I'm Markel, also a designer based in Barcelona, also part of, of Holland proud part of Holland. Uh, by the way, I think Adria didn't say, but uh, yeah, it's a collective that now it's, uh, it takes the form of a cooperative uh, mm. from one year ago, right? And what I do, what's my background or how do I approach my practice as designer? Um, yeah, I'm coming from a product design slash engineering background. I very early knew that uh, I didn't want to be putting more stuff into the market. So, yeah, I got into eco-design. That was my first jump into, let's call design for, with a, with kind of, kind of a broader intention of, of which is my agency designer. 
And yeah, through the last years, I have been working in in strategic design, uh, self design, etc. Um, for somehow working with companies, organizations that that are leading their way into into a new uh, paradigm, into a new approach of, of business, into a new approach of organizing themselves. And yeah, I'm, I'm, part of my background is really connected to 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 systems thinking, complexity science, etc., and cybernetics. Great. Um, we were wondering if you could talk a little bit on uh, what was the journey into becoming a cooperative, a creative agency, and as a group, if you could synthesize the work that you do. I would say the Markel and, and Marce, another member of the cooperative, they did a, a, a podcast uh, with uh, Salgado, uh, the same diaspora, and, and they were trying to, when they were explaining like the origins of, of the collective, I think the, it's something that uh, it's really nice, and, and we actually talk about it. It was intentional uh, that to explain sometimes when when you explain how it started, we we fall into this kind of uh, the hero narrative. Usually, it's a it's a guy, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneur who starts something and then does this kind of stuff, and la 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 la, and and that's it's a way to explain the story that uh, sometimes it's true, but it's it's just like falls really short and to explain how, yeah, how the unfolding of, of, of things happen. In this case, um, basically how it folded is, uh, is that different people that they, most of us are designers who are being, uh, let's say, educated already in the eco-design wave, let's say, like in the, uh, yeah, like we already were in school hearing of some of this stuff and then we went into the market with the uh, 2008 crash so all these kind of different alternative ways to approach design were already like you know something. So some of us we worked in in regular uh, companies and or like regular design industry, but we all let's say made the the click that we needed meaning meaning from from our design profession. So some of us let's say started the collective, put a name, and then others just like uh, along the way found. And then slowly but slowly, you know, the people have been joining. And and at the beginning, we were, we were doing um, mostly uh, at that time was called product service system design, like basically just using uh, separatization as an in, as a strategy to to yeah for industry to embrace eco design and sustainability logics. Uh, but then we've been also doing co-design with communities. Um, we can talk later about concrete projects, yeah, but uh, service design, um, uh, a lot of like uh, design research. Um, we've been doing also transformation as well, like how can we uh, change uh, organizing cultures. Um, and the way in which we reach to transition design, it's been by, because we had one of the, the, the key ideas for us, it was like that going from the experience to the to the ecosystem. Um, so basically zooming in and zooming out, like we are designers, we are really, we feel comfortable a lot with the, with the context of experience using the transition design hardware will be the everyday life context. But we also were really, for whatever reasons, everyone in the collective kind of was coming from a corner of life that they realized that the whole change that happened at that systemic spaces where many organizations meet and la 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 la, that was also part of the conversation and how to make this bridge, like how to always keep making the zooming in and zooming out. That's why, like the we some years ago we did the, we changed the claim of the of the collective and it's the everyday life of transitions. So how to integrate the the two the two states? So one of the things is that 
Um, the first impression from the website is that you can, the way you present yourselves is quite unique and we get a sense of, of the collective itself as the way that you mm. present yourselves, which also stands out because you define yourself as a cooperative and then those, the principles uh, of cooperativism are there. Mm. And mm. for a creative agency, this is not so common to mm. see. But so what I'm saying is that you've managed to weave some sort of collective voice already in the way you present mm. yourself by through text and visuals in the website. And then I, I was we we're curious to hear about that process okay. and okay. in what sense that, that relates to the principles as well. Yeah, I think there's something there that um, there's like a hold on at the at the end, this is like a, also a long-term prototype about how to organize uh, differently also. So, and that's also uh, maybe what is reflected in the webpage um, as differently from other uh, companies or studios and our approach to to membership is really different, is, is really different, let's say. So we, our base, uh, our, also our talent or people attraction uh, mechanisms are different also. So basically we are, um, at the core, we are a, a design collective. So anyone can join the design collective uh, and then there's a process uh, throughout which uh, you can pass through the different stages from being a, a friend, a collaborator, to being a, a partner in the company. So. I, yeah, I guess that's that's the reason that it, why it is um, clear in the webpage that, that collective voice because that's something that is really intentional that we've been working for since the beginning, right? So one one of the areas that I think is differential from from Holland is in, in is from other companies is that uh, you know having this really low low uh, barrier of entry to the to the collective. So as uh, differently from uh, design studio that you have to have to fight for getting to into a position, uh, we approach it in a pretty cross paradigmatic way so we approach it like you can join if you can if you want uh, you can you can join to do the kind of work that you are um somehow that you are called upon to which is something really relevant because most of us are coming um and are working in also in different fields different um, attractions or different bases of attraction um so anyone can can somehow join the collective. The identity of the collective is really formed by all the individual contributions and collective contributions to, to what uh, Holon is. So what Holon is is something that is, and I know it can seem a little bit, it can sound a little bit cliche, but it's um, pretty organic because it changed a lot with people that are somehow putting their effort, putting their lives, uh, putting their energies into the collective. So yeah, I'm happy that you somehow the page is already communicating this because it's something that, that for me is really important from, from, from the project. Following up a little bit on that, so um, the collective is opened up for anyone who wants to join, but are you actively looking for, um, for specific profiles or are you actually seeing yourselves a little bit in a pedagogical way um, looking to help others uh, implement these formats in their practice? Uh, and if so, who is your audience? Who, who, are, your, uh, who are the people or the communities you work with? Uh, regarding the first part, um, we basically, for instance, uh, of course, it, it can always get better, as Market said, it's a continuous prototype. But for instance, this Friday, we have uh, Holland Walks. So we used to have Holland rings, but with the whole COVID crisis, we start uh, because now we, we can 
finally go out and do things. So we had to do starting to do column column works where everybody in our networks can just come and and that's one of the ways in which uh, you know people get close and 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 start what we say Holland is a is a it's a shared garden and it's just like what we need to do is like just like make people come close and and, and invite and something like that. So that's one of the ways, for instance, that, that we do. Another way that we uh, other people has in the past joined is by just uh, you know people write, hey, I've seen this, blah, blah, blah. and then it's like usually it's like what we do is like you apply, you know, okay, is that a project? Um, and yes, by projects is is a great way to to start because you can test uh, with the whole. Uh, let's say formal relationship with you know with the salary and things like that, but we also have uh, uh, open uh, what we call um, hollow labs, which is basically just like spaces of like it's just learning spaces that we've been exploring. I don't know uh, one of the projects. Well, many projects have started as a lab that then follow into you know client-based relationships, but that spaces there are ongoing open uh, project uh, spaces where people it's easy for them to join uh, because of course. It's the good and the bad. There's no money, so it's always like a based on a voluntary basis. But also, it's a space for for people to to start, you know, testing waters and 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 see how it goes. And in terms of communities, it depends. Um, now, or traditionally, we've been a lot with, uh, let's say, companies uh, doing uh, innovation or trying to, you know, shift from from traditional ways of producing to more sustainable ways. Uh, lately, we've been moving to more like a, a public administrations looking to change the way that, that they work, to be closer to the citizens, so on. Also, we've been getting closer now with um, in Catalonia, it's called ProCommon, uh, but it's, it will be more like a digital, common-oriented uh, companies, or it's also named as a, as a pattern cooperativism. So basically, just like a digital companies that are, you know, working on, on along the lines of digital commons. Um, social and solidarity economy is also uh, one of the spaces. Uh, I don't know if it's in English, it's, it's known in this way, but it's basically just uh, uh, cooperative mainly, but not also, uh, not, also uh, not just cooperative. Um, and then working with them and trying to, let's say, well, what, we, what we also say is like a perfect client is somebody who's already leading uh, the transition towards eco-social or yeah, the eco-social transitions. And we're helping them to, uh, let's say, Get the best experience because sometimes they're, they're leaders in their thinking and the way they position themselves, but they're they're not sometimes paying attention to the quality of the experience of their clients or the users or something like that. Yeah, there's something that was reverberating a little bit of what you were saying, Sofia. You know about this critique of of you know if uh, innovation labs work or not, or this question, and um, and you were a little bit reframing it from a learning perspective, and then. I think that's also a really nice way to frame much of what we do also internally in Holland. I think it's a, it's also a, a learning process. So when the first time I met the collective up to now, I have uh, it, ha it has been a, not only a cultural adaptation or transformation myself and of the organization, but also learning uh, together uh, both uh, professionally or tool-wise or method-wise but also learning how do we work together in this kind of new approach or different approach. So, yeah, it's definitely many people join um, Holland. Maybe because, maybe don't, they don't have the competences, for example, for necessarily for, for example, eco-innovation. But many people uh, get close to Holland because they are interested in this kind of work. So somehow they, are, they feel attracted or they feel aligned with this kind of work. 
And I think all, I think also Holland is a platform for uh, people that want to make this kind of switch to a more let's say, let's say critical or slash um, uh, intentional approach or practice of design also. And for me, for me, it was a, a huge platform for learning from my peers and learning from others also. Thank you. And in that sense, we're also curious to see or to hear your thoughts on, uh, given that you you talk about the practice and how this space is both acts as a space for doing, for learning as a collective, but also for exploring different areas. So it's about learning, it's about sometimes letting others learn. It's, it has different sort of formats or spaces. In that sense, sort of the interplay between uh, practice and reflection. We're curious to hear about that because you also, through our conversation, it's clear that you have a very deep uh, reflective sort of perspective that constantly discuss about how what this means, what this practice means, but also what does this mean for adopting a transition design or in what ways is this different from the original transition design approach as it's um, communicated? I would like to like clarify something that, that uh, like in itself as a collective, is a collective say of work. So we, we are, we're a working cooperative. So it's a space to sustain a livelihood. And that's something that I think is really important because sometimes it can, yeah, it can confuse people to, to which is something really uh, in itself, uh, not, not bad per se, but it's not just learning in itself or space uh, for that. It's also how do we, how can we have a dignifying a meaningful life being a designer? That's one of the, the key questions that the Holon is a continuous prototype. Um, especially if you have an open mind, open heart, something like that. Because, yes, you, you can be a designer in many ways and, you know, swallow yeah, things you don't want to swallow sometimes. But that's, a, I guess, it's the, it's the key question. And we need to get salaries and we need to get money, all this kind of stuff, as, as everyone that needs to sustain their life. And I think the interesting conversation is, like, how do we keep this also as part of the conversation and not just, like, put it in a side? Because... Uh, we've been in many design companies where this is put aside and then it's like you, money is prioritized or clients are prioritized and then you just like follow whatever the industry is going or where the, the investment is going, all that kind of stuff. And then everybody working on startups because venture capital is going there. And that's great. And, and the, the also the, the key thing is also like how does a design practice that is, that is yeah, trying to find meaning in their work, looking for a way to sustain it. So... That would, that would be the, the first thing to mention. And the second one is regarding learning. The ways that we've been doing it is also, I don't know, with concrete things as how my, how, what's the salary you want to have? Because if you're a designer in Barcelona and you work for, I don't know, these kind of design companies that they are part of a global network of, you know, you know these type of companies, um, you can have maybe two, three times what we earn per month. But still, uh, people that they've been put in the core of Holland, that they reach the core of Holland because they want to use Holland as a vehicle to get their salaries. They can have, they can get a, a livelihood. And I've been living out of Holland for five years and, and I had a, a happy life, let's say. So that's also a part of the conversation of like, okay, how much do you want to earn doing a design work? And, or um, if we, let's say, uh, need to find markets, uh, for instance, how do we, for instance, right now we're having the conversation that we, 
we've been working with clients in the social and solidarity economy. We have two, three clients there, but we're continuously seeing that the language in which we approach and, and the way in which we approach the, the budgets that we share with them, it's not, we cannot go with the same that we used to go with, I don't know, corporations that, you know, or Telefonicas or these kind of companies that they're just basically monopolies. So, and, and the, the whole conversation design is based on that. So that's also part of the learning that we're doing is like, I would say keeping paradoxes is, is the way that we integrate learning in our practice. So making sure that, yes, we, we're here because we need to get a, a livelihood. And most of us, we, we are people who have been working in traditional companies and we burn out and not necessarily just having, you know, burn out uh, because that's a clinical, you know, a serious thing, but just like a lack of meaning. Um, so we know that in the body um, and we are basically doing or trying to find ways to, to, to not go there and then try to find uh, strategies to, to find work and things like that as a designer uh, uh, doing it. So I would say that's the way in which we integrate learning by, by holding the paradox. Also, I would say as well that if you keep producing, 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 um, I don't know, it's sometimes you forget about thinking. And, and, and as, as I know many designers in traditional design companies that do it awesomely. I, I, I don't know. I also learn from them a lot. I have lots of friends there that they have these older reflection sessions and things like that. But also because they have clients that they charge a lot that allow for them to have time that is safe for learning. In our case, we, 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 we have the time sometimes in, in periods that there's left work because that's also one of the things, there's periods where there is less work and therefore what we do is like share uh, like projects or people, you know, like uh, living on, on, on less money uh, and of course, that depends on some life situations. I just got a baby, so probably in last years I was able to live with less, and now we'll have to maybe not be able to to bound back these kind of uh, low projects periods. But uh, that's the ways in which we're integrating, I would say, learnings uh, in these different spaces. And kind of in that vein, it's it's really interesting. You're you're talking about this kind of mission-driven space where you get to learn but you also get to practice and to sustain your livelihood. So are you looking for specific projects to work on? Are there a couple of examples or case studies that you could talk to us or just, yeah, explain the type of work that you, that you do? La Borda is, uh, or let's say, our, our work in housing is one of the examples. So usually, um, in this case, it was out of a personal interest slash professional um, um, where in Barcelona, I don't know, in the, well, I know that in many cities of the world, um, the, let's say, global capital is investing in, in housing, which is, is basically driving people out of cities and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so here in Barcelona as well, it's a global capital, la, 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 la. Um, and there was a movement uh, to try to find a, a, a different alternative models um, because public housing was not working because, you know, we can talk a lot about why it wasn't working. Um, but anyway, we got into a project that was about cooperative housing, which is basically uh, uh, shared ownership uh, of, of buildings uh, that are uh, owned by a cooperative. And therefore, people who live there, they cannot sell it uh, and therefore they cannot speculate it and they can hold the, the you know, be in the, in the house as long as they want and things like that. In this case, it was also a cooperative that was promoting uh, shared services. So it's not just like share ownership, but also share like a sort of like a housing, you know, a laundry, um, a common room, a guest house. So we just joined them, as I said, as a lab. Okay, you, we knew somebody there. So yeah, let's just join the conversation, both because there was a personal interest, but also because it was a professional one. And we started doing some 
uh, you know, participation as a designer in those conversations where people were talking about conviviality, shared services, and so on and so forth. And that evolved in a couple of projects where uh, first we got uh, uh, a funding to do a guide, then we did a commission to do some uh, service design. Uh, now, uh, part of, uh, of the research that I mentioned that I'm doing is along these lines. Um, so, for instance, that's an example um, that by following, uh, in this case, a reflection on a given topic, in this case, housing, we, we use this, this word of like, instead of problem solvers, we are problem carers. So it's like we care about the problem of housing and then we stay there um, as designers, just as you will do as a person because you're interested in something, because you're deeply interested in something, and then design opportunities come. And of course, that's really, it's easy to say, but the challenge is how do you then bring the professional practice there? But of course, it's not like straight line. You know, you're just there, you see opportunities, you apply here, you apply there, oh, a partner gets to know you, you, you look for a project. So in a way, it's organic, but it's, it's a thing. Like now, five years from now, I will tell you that I don't know what it is, but now I can somehow get to know how to navigate these spaces by staying there, doing small projects, maybe doing another project to stay my practice somewhere else, but then when an opportunity comes, do something else. So in the context of housing, I would say it's a great example uh, where we're doing service design, basically projects, co-design in this case. We've done a, a design of a guide, which has been, you know, with ethnographic uh, research, then some UX, building a platform. Now we're doing, we're applying for a, for a project to do um, a sort of like a facilitation of a multi-stakeholder space with the logics or the principles of traditional design. Um, and now we're starting to think that this could be used as an as a offering um, that we could use as a collective to go to many public bodies or, or spaces where multi-stakeholders gather and they usually don't, they lack the, the tools and the culture to work together and we could offer that as a service. So it's, it's kind of like a, it's in between walls. Following up on that, as you mentioned, in a way the, the context quite determines the possibilities that you have and that's true for everyone. But so we're curious to hear about the particular aspects of your social, political and economic context, how that really shaped the type of work that you do or allowed you to expand in different ways that we may not hear from other places. It's come on, Marga, you go. But it's just what we were talking basically before the, 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 the interview, that that was something we wanted to share. We wanted to share the political context in which we're based. Um, yeah, so we are in, uh, in Barcelona, which is uh, the capital of Catalonia, which belongs uh, or it's, uh, it's a part of, uh, of the Kingdom of Spain. Yeah, like the, the traditions in which in which we are based is um, I don't know. This is kind of muddy muddy terrain, but uh, as a historical political entity, Catalonia it's been always a space that always had rulings or rulers really far away. So even people that you would say conservative, they have a pretty I would not say anarchistic, but but really autonomous thinking, even though uh, they're conservative. So that made always that uh, that's kind of like in the chup chup in, in the in the context. Um, of course, we are Europe, uh, so we are uh, the colonizers of the world, and that's something that uh, some maybe sometimes here is not really remember because we also the south of Europe. So we are we are the subaltern, let's say, of the uh, in this case of of the yeah of the colonizers of the world. So it's always really tricky. Um, I remember doing a, a holding a conference a couple three years ago about uh, transition design and and adding this kind of southern perspective. That with the time I realized that somebody from the global south will say, okay, what the fuck are you saying? Because you are in, in Europe, you know? 
but for us, it is, we, we are the south of Europe and, and we see uh, structural austerity. I don't know, there's many domination and, and all this, uh, everything, it, it's, it's, it's blended. So it's not a clear cut. But still, it is what it is that we are with the, with the south of the north. Um, and I would say that was also part that uh, it make us really click with fashion design because it had, in, my, in our understanding, a pretty situated, even though it's really North, North Atlantic, uh, we, we mentioned it that before, but it had at least created spaces for, for people from, from other conversations to, uh, or, let's say, autonomous or you know, from Escobar to others to, to, to say things. Um, also, uh, more concretely, I would say um, in design, I don't know how it's in other places, but usually designers are people who study design. And if you study design in Catalonia, you at least you are kind of yeah, low class that has the capacity to pay, uh, I don't know, three, four. Uh, when I was when I was working, when I was studying, it was three, four thousand uh, a year. So still there is a there is a, a class bias in design. Um, also, uh, like a race bias that you can see also that uh, is mostly white in design. But still, I would say there is there is something about uh, the context in which which we operate that made that we were growing in these kind of uh, margins of of uh, design in Barcelona. That it's that it's I would say uh, you know predominated by um, you know the regular design as 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 many cities I would say. Thank you, thank you for that. And actually, I kind of want to weave in um, something that uh, you were talking about right now, right? Um, on kind of explaining the socio-political context of a place, it becomes kind of tricky, more as perhaps immigrants working in other places. So um, we saw that on your website, you're talking about a planetary society. We were wondering if it connected. It's actually two questions here. So you're talking about a planetary society. We were wondering if it's connected to what we call in transition design cosmopolitan localism. And with kind of the state of affairs where we have the facility, at least until a couple of months ago, to move around, to live in different places, how can we practice this sort of design in other places that are not our localities, right? So, for example, I've been living in Pittsburgh, but I'm Mexican, and there's a very particular context to Pittsburgh, things like that. I, I guess regarding the planetary societies, We'll also take a conversation with different members of the collective around their different interpret interpretations of of the of what that means to each of us. But as I see it personally, is that um, somehow it encompasses this idea of yes, yeah, you were saying of of uh, global reach, global perspective, but situated locally situated, right? But it also encompasses all things like, for example, not understanding uh, our practice or trying to not to support uh, anthropocentrism also in our practices also. So we are sharing this world with other sentient beings. So that it also means that for us, right? So taking account that we are not the only being in this planet. So somehow, how do we how do we approach? How how do we push for a society that that understands that themselves as planetary, right? As as belonging to to the earth as a whole, right? And yeah, that, related to, to this uh, idea of uh, localism versus uh, being uh, in other places, I can also speak of my own experience. You know, I'm, I'm from the Basque country. And I first learned about transition design and while I was in the Basque country, and now I'm living in Catalonia, which is a, 
even though it belongs to the same kingdom, uh, it has some pretty uh, differential uh, traits between Catalonia and the Basque Country. So yeah, I, I think it, it has a lot to do, and it connects also with the with the matter of everydayness, right? So it has to do while you are living in Pittsburgh, uh, even though you don't have the whole context of, and, or, or even though the historical context of, of the local uh, community, local place, you are also somehow engaged into into situations. Uh, Adria before was speaking about housing. So uh, as a as a foreigner in Catalonia who does not have family in, in Barcelona, I can you can believe that I lived in my own skin what it means uh, to to find a house. So to reach a house when you don't have familiar support, when you have a network of friends that can help you find something. So somehow it really connects to this quality of being situated, uh, with being engaged also with with um, with local community. There's something there on on what you were saying on because I don't know. In practice, I would say that that I would love us to go to bring the conversation into what it means in practice. Um, because at the end of the day, I feel most of the time like an imposter when I when I am as a designer participating in, in many of the, the spaces that, that I am. Especially the more I learn uh, about uh, I don't know uh, social and solidarity economy or the environmental movement, all this kind of stuff in my life. The, the more I learned about these things, the, the less the less I felt that I had to speak. So for me, it was more about uh, going to the spaces with the capacity to listen and with a. And I think there's something that I don't know. I it's actually funny, but when I learned about active listening, uh, appreciative inquiry, like all these different things, I I didn't learn it in design school. I learned it in a master that was about leadership and art of hosting, all this kind of stuff. So now I think these things are moving to design. But I don't know how often as designers we are accustomed to be good listeners and, and to and all this kind of stuff. And so in practice, for me, uh, the way in which you participate uh, in other projects is in other contexts is by even though like even more listening more. Uh, we actually did a project with the United Nations um, that it was uh, about uh, eco-innovation. And we actually struggled a lot um, when we had the opportunity because it was basically a project um, that the United Nations was doing uh, with partners in the Global South um, to uh, yeah, figure out what, what meant uh, sustainability in practice for companies in, in that context. And of course, uh, United Nations, is it, it's a place where... Uh, yeah, colonialism is being reproduced and is still reproducing itself, even though I, I know by, by matter of fact, by the people I learned that they are really trying to, to change and that they succeed in many ways. Um, but we were like, okay, what? why do we need to engage in this project? What, what can we teach? Or what, what can we learn? All this kind of stuff. And, the, and we ended up doing the project. And one of the things that we did um, is that there was a four-year project in the United Nations, so on and so forth. And, and it, all, it was all about, let's create a methodology for eco-innovation for developing countries, even though developing countries world the world. And I know that that's also uh, controversial in itself. Um, and half the way, they basically realized that nobody was reading the manual. They were creating a manual, and nobody was reading the manual. And we actually met them uh, by chance, because somebody was working you know, in the project and so on. And, and at that point, we did a small, a small graphic work. It was just a matter of like traditional graphic design. Oh, designers, please help me to design something graphical. And we took the opportunity, actually, when we finished that small commission, 
to tell them, um, to give them just a proposal, but then maybe they, they could consider to rethink the approach and they were doing the project um, because it was about eco-innovation, to consider innovation in the project itself and, you know, be uh, user-centered, uh, you know, about uh, contextually based and all this kind of stuff. So a year later, they come to us and told us, nobody is reading the manual. And we don't know why. Could you actually help us? Like, this thing that you say a year ago. And then basically we came into the project and we realized that, yeah, like these people in the middle of Tunisia or Peru or Sri Lanka or Congo, uh, not because it was these countries and, you know, from a European perspective, you will think that they are, you know, under the belt, something like that. No, that's because there were small and medium companies that they were five to ten people. They were basically stressed out trying to find partners to do some usually engineer eco-design projects, but they didn't have time to read. If you are somebody from the United Nations, everything that you do in the day is read reports. But for the person that they're in the field, they don't read reports. They just need help right now, you know? So we basically, uh, like, I think in a, yeah, we, we, we turn upside down the way in they were structuring the information of the project and not as a manual, but more as a, uh, of course, uh, as a, an activity set that you could get in and out whenever you need it. Uh, and also what we did was we were like, you know, testing, okay, how can we structure the information so it's easy for you as a person who is in that context to find what is my problem, uh, what are what is there for me, tools, examples, things like that, and then take it, bring it to my client or not, like, or take it with my team. So that was an example of, I don't know, the way in which we find that we could interact in this context where we were working with somebody in the other part of the world, but yes, I don't know, we were trying to, yeah, like, just work as I will do here in Barcelona, you know, like, okay, yes, small and medium-sized companies, they also, they are in the same context as uh, in Barcelona than in Congo, you know what I mean? It's like, everybody, nobody has time, like, budget are, like, low, and so on and so forth. So that was, for us, a, a pretty kind of like a learning full experience because we were a bit afraid in the beginning to just reproduce colonizing structures. And of course, probably we did something that we are not aware, but just because of the fact that we were aware of that, I don't know, stupid things, but with a graphic designer, when we were doing icons, uh, the, the CEO was a woman black. I don't know, like in the, so these are sometimes you could even say that, that we're tokenizing, but I think it was just small spaces in which that we, we're invited to the staff that we try to apply these these things, and I think that when you go with this with this uh, approach, yes, you can work with others. But if you ask me to fly all the way to somewhere to do some field work and things like that, I know I know for the for I know I know many people like uh, STBI or other researchers that they've done it, and you can do that in a in a non-colonizing way, in respecting localities and things like that. But yeah, you will have to do it in that way, not just fly me to there, let me just do a couple of workshops and I will tell you what, blah, blah. Which I think it's, luckily, it's becoming common practice. If you look at uh, many design companies, like the big ones, it seems that these conversations are substantive to, to you know, be there. And, and because they are the ones who have global clients. For us, it's not that common. We have some, but not that common. Right. So we really, really appreciate this conversation with you. And it has been great. And just kind of a, as a wrap up question, we wanted to know um, what is your big question or your big inquiry at this moment, kind of in these new global circum circumstances that we're in? 
I, I don't know if it qualifies as a big question. It's a little bit daunting <laughs> to, to frame it like that. But um, these past uh, years, um, and it also connects with what Adria was saying about labs. Yeah, we, we just opened a new lab around different ways of knowing, right? And one question that interests me a lot and that I think is it really connects many of the things that we are seeing even these days in, in the media, right? With all the with all the racial um, conflict in the US and the, and, and the rest of the world. Uh, one of the things, one of the questions that uh, I think is really relevant is it touches upon, which we already commented also, touches upon which ways of knowing are being validated or are being um, somehow accepted or are being used for constructing and navigating our world. Somehow I have the, I have the feeling, well, it's not me. I mean, it's um, pretty evident that the way of, of both generating knowledge and understanding the world and navigating the world through, through a mechanicist, mechanicistic, uh, rational, positivistic uh, approach has led us here in many ways, you know, understanding that uh, not only something that we are connected, uh, that we are part of a living system, and maybe also maybe putting on top of, of, of the knowledge of the world, the scientific knowledge or the scientific approach to understanding reality as the only way uh, of understanding the world. So one thing that uh, I am really, really interested in, I think it's something that... Uh, it will take us time, but we will be we will be getting that also in design. Is it means it's all that has to do with alternative ways of knowing, uh, and those that especially that are really connected to bodily ways of know of knowing are something that interests us a lot. So understanding that um, when you are in a super practical way, when you are sketching in a design process, you are not just reproducing what your mind is somehow modeling you are generating the model, uh, your hand is generating the model also. So yeah, we are also really, really interested in approaching uh, other, yeah, like other reference also, you know, from, maybe also even from, from uh, the other day I was, by the way, listening to, to Tyson Yucaporta, which is an Aboriginal from the from Australia. And I was really interested because he was speaking a lot about, a lot about orality and, and also about stories, about how they, uh, somehow build stories in the in the tradition of, of the in the Asian tradition. They build stories. And they use also uh, sand talking, right? So uh, the drawing in the sand. So uh, yeah, I'm really interested into bringing these other non-official, non-normative um, approaches to understanding and navigating the world into the center of of or my practice, and also bringing these conversations. And I'm really decided also to bring in these conversations and uh, into into design as a, as a whole. It, it would somehow, it's like a leverage point that I think it can bring, uh, bring more empathy into the world and into the design process, more uh, situatedness, less uh, level of abstraction, more level of, of really penetration of the kind of things that we are doing. Mm, and at the end, I guess more impact also. I would say we were having before the conversation about conflict and power. I have this sense that... Uh, you know, history maybe doesn't repeat, but rhymes. Um, and I have this feeling, and I think that the conflict that is going on in the, in the U.S., it brings it really well that you can see that it's just like same waves coming back, you know, from 
the abolition, segregation, la 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 la, like now it's informal, uh, still structural racism and formal as well. Uh, but anyway, what, what I wanted to say is that I think there's something about understanding that uh, the conflict is key to the to the evolution of the society and something also that I learned from my whole process and, and, and the whole uh, uh, feminism and the construction of masculinity this is really important to look at the incumbents and and how for me the question will be how can design be a force of good the power whatever you want to say it, uh, in making those who are in power devolve power take up power i don't know like uh, there's many strategies that we need to follow and they all need to uh, operate and in, in concert but i think it needs to be also the the, the conversation needs to be about uh, understanding much better conflict, understanding much better how uh, those who are in power or, or the structures that are uh, that are reproducing the, the inequalities uh, are dismantled. I think that's kind of one of the key things that uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm holding uh, personally as, as a designer. Uh, and sometimes these kind of big words, and I don't know, like that, that if you're not into the bus, it can seem really abstract, but there's something really down to earth that everybody who's been oppressed or in a situation like that can really relate to that. So I'm really looking forward for, for the design community to, to take into that conversation and, and bring it as we kind of always do to a dumb level. Okay, this is, this is how I can do it because I'm a dumb person myself and I need to, think, to bring things to a really practical, simple way. Thank you very much. This was really insightful and interesting and we really appreciated you participating on our Transition Design podcast. Thank you very much. And I would say that I would love one day to switch roles and interview you. And, and uh, yeah, if, if we can like be the guest uh, interview one day, that would be lovely because I'd really, really would love to hear you more. Yeah. Acabamos de escuchar la entrevista que hicieron Silvana y Sofía con Adria García y Mateu y Markel Cormenzana, miembros de Holon, una agencia de diseño cooperativa y sin fines de lucro basada en Barcelona. Ahora Erika y yo haremos una síntesis en español de la charla y compartiremos reflexiones a partir de ella. Al principio de la conversación, Adria y Markel nos hablan de cómo Holón se formó por la inquietud de un grupo de diseñadores con una formación en ecodiseño, quienes salieron al mercado de trabajo en Europa durante la, la, de la recesión del 2009. Nos explican cómo comenzaron como una agencia de diseño de productos, servicios y sistemas para las partes de la industria que estaban adoptando una perspectiva de ecodiseño. Más adelante empezaron a co-diseñar con comunidades. ¿Cuáles son tus impresiones de la conversación, Marisol? Pues uh, hay varias, ¿no? La primera es que me llama la atención de cómo hablan de su organización de Holon de una forma muy orgánica y eh, de, en, en cómo conectan las relaciones entre los diferentes miembros de la organización y utilizan metáforas como la de que es un jardín que hay que cuidar y que la gente eh, involucrada son más como amigos o colaboradores o socios, pero socios no en el sentido 
comercial o de empresa, sino en el sentido de, del compañerismo que se crea entre ellos. ¿Tú qué opinas acerca de, de eso? Sí, igual es súper interesante y, y me, me fascina ese, ese modelo de, de cómo podemos trabajar, porque en muchos sentidos yo creo que el futuro del trabajo es en esas colectivas, en lo cual podemos tenemos espacio para ser human, humanos, seres humanos, y, y también sustentarnos a la misma vez. Entonces, sí, yo creo que es muy importante lo que están haciendo en, en crear esas, ese, tipo de, ese tipo de colectivo que, que no tiene tanta jerarquía, que en lo cual podemos crecer, eh, empezar a tener nuevos roles y cambiar roles. Entonces, sí, yo creo que debemos eh, estar en contacto con ellos en este proceso de cómo, está, cómo, cómo, cómo se va y qué están ap aprendiendo de, de este proceso, porque yo creo que es, es, hay, mucho, hay mucho aprendizaje que tenemos que compartir para que podamos eh, crear más modelos así en diseño. Así es, y me da gusto que eh, menciones esos aspectos de eh, el sostener una vida digna que ellos mencionaron y esta parte del aprendizaje, porque eso toca en varios sentidos. Ellos dicen, eso, ellos lo que mencionan, ¿no? Que eh, tienen como que a la hora de que hacen su organización, tienen estos aspectos muy en, en cuenta, que sí es un, un espacio o una organización en la cual vienen todos a aprender. Pero eh, no solamente es eso, sino también es un espacio en el que buscan formas de mantener y sostener esta vida digna por medio del trabajo significativo. Entonces está el aprendizaje, el trabajo significativo, pero también una, este, una forma de, de sostener tu vida, ¿no? Y ese para mí es un gran este, motivante para continuar el trabajo que estoy haciendo personalmente en mi investigación, porque... Se, se liga mucho a lo que ellos están haciendo y también un poco esperanzador saber que ellos están demostrando que se puede vivir una vida digna en cuestiones de poder tener sustento para uno y su familia mientras se hace este trabajo significativo. Es súper interesante, sí, sí. Yo creo que esas tres partes que, que dijiste eh, son muy importantes para los oyentes escuchar que, que son tres partes que están construyendo eh, en, en hacer este modelo. Bueno, eh, ¿qué, más, ¿qué más estaba llamando tu atención en esta entrevista? Pues eso es lo que también estabas mencionando tú de eh, el rol de los diseñadores, ¿no? Y, y cómo uno se ve a sí mismo y este, el la posicionalidad del diseñador eh, en el cual uno no puede verse como este actor o ente eh, que es neutral, sino que tenemos cierto bagaje de acuerdo a nuestras experiencias para bien y para mal, ¿no? Entonces, eh, está interesante cómo ellos mencionan con un ejemplo de, eh, de la borda eh, donde hablan como que ellos no se ven como los diseñadores que resuelven problemas, sino que se preocupan y se ocupan de problemáticas específicas. Y eso es parte de esta posicionalidad como diseñador. O sea, no es como que yo voy a ir a ayudar a que el mundo sea mejor, sino que tengo cierta perspectiva y hay ciertas cosas que me preocupan a mí más por 
mi contexto y por eh, quién soy y esas son las cuales me voy a ocupar y tú tal vez Erika te ocupan otras cosas y esos van a ser los intereses que tú vas a tener y esto es una de las cosas que determina pues esta posicionalidad de los diseñadores y ellos mencionan como eh, el hecho de que ellos estén en un contexto sociopolítico muy específico de Barcelona eh, y su posicionalidad como diseñadores eh, por medio de la, de la práctica que han tenido estos años eh, como diseñadores ecosociales, que es parte también de este contexto, han evolucionado su propio rol de diseñador a ser actores que escuchan más que hablar y reflexionan acerca de los aspectos de cómo escuchar activamente o de eh, utilizar eh, técnicas de indagación apreciativa que no son cosas que ellos aprendieron en la escuela o que uno no aprende en la escuela de diseño. Y es así como ellos han este, creado como estos espacios eh, donde crean invitaciones para el diálogo y donde ellos se sienten o son miembros de la comunidad que exploran eh, juntos posibles respuestas a, a las preguntas que rodean esa problemática más que tratar de resolver problemas. Uh -huh. Sí, sí, es, estuve súper feliz escuchar a esta parte de la conversación porque personalmente yo no vengo de, de un, no soy diseñador tradicional, entonces yo vengo de una comunidad que es más, que identifica más como facilita, facilitadores, entonces me fascina que, que Adria quizás estaba, estaba hablando como que el diseño está empezando a tener o quizás eh, obtener más capacidad de, de, de facilitar en este sentido, crear espacios, en, en, en esos espacios tener, una, tener relaciones mientras, mientras que la gente puede escuchar, hablar, y todo eso está súper bueno. Y yo creo que estaba hablando, por ejemplo, de Art of Hosting. Art of Hosting es un... Eh, estilo que yo creo que es muy bueno para, para eh, tener espacios en los cuales la gente puede hablar más abierta. Entonces, eh, pero a la misma vez, lo que, me, lo que fue muy interesante escuchar es que dijo también que a la misma vez tenemos que traer, es importante que articulamos nuestros contextos, nuestra posicionalidad y la situación en la cual, donde venimos. Entonces, eh, de vez en cuando, como facilitadores, eh, entramos a espacios como estamos neutrales, pero no, no somos, tenemos nuestras perspectivas y, y es importante que todos comparten a esos, porque si yo, si yo quiero que, que, por ejemplo, tú muevas en tu opinión o cambias tu opinión, yo también tengo que cambiar o estar abierta a cambiar mi opinión. Entonces, si no pongo mi, mis perspectivas en la misma, decimos quizás en inglés, no sé, en español, pero... Si, si, no, si, no, si, si no soy trans, transparente, es difícil que, y, y vulnerable también, es difícil que, que tú también puedas entrar a ese espacio así. Entonces yo creo que sería interesante en el futuro tener más conversaciones sobre esas capacidades y herramientas de cómo eh, podemos ten, crear esos, esos espacios y esos procesos. Eh, mientras que cambiamos nuestra profesión de, de diseño. Bueno, no sé si quieres comentar algo más, pero yo también tenía, eh, te, tenía una curiosidad. Eh, ¿Te puedo preguntar? 
Sí, pregúntame. <risa> eh, yo sería interesante dejar nuestros oyentes con una pregunta que tú piensas que, que faltamos a preguntarles a ellos. Entonces podemos preguntarles a los oyentes esa, esa curiosidad. Sí, eh, o sea, es que me quedaron muchas preguntas, pero yo creo que la más importante tiene que ver con, con esto que estamos hablando, ¿no? Eh, por, le, por el tiempo, pues que no teníamos tanto tiempo para hablar con ellos, no pudimos ahondar tanto en el tema, pero me hubiera gustado saber más eh, cómo y en qué forma están ejercitando el escuchar activamente a los miembros de las comunidades con las que trabajan, como para... Eh, invitar a otros diseñadores a que hagan lo mismo y también en, en, en la, de la misma forma eh, y a lo, un poquito como al otro lado de la moneda, cómo y de qué forma fomentan la confianza en estos espacios, espacios de diálogo esas son como que las dos siguientes preguntas que me hubiera gustado que contestaran con eso tenemos el resumen Gracias por acompañarnos en Diseño en Transición. Este podcast fue presentado por Sofía Vashkomez, Silvana Yuri, Marisol Ortega Payanez y Erika Dorn. La producción del audio fue realizada por Thomas Yoon. Síguenos en Twitter en arroba day in transition. También puedes visitar nuestro sitio web tinyurl.com slash day in transition, donde puedes suscribirte al podcast, ya sea en iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify o tu aplicación favorita. Nos vemos en el próximo episodio y que viva la transición. Thank you.